Good evening. Good to be with you again. Had a nice gathering this morning. Prashadam. Everything good? You girls are supposed to be in the back, aren't you? This <laughs> is like the lady in Jadian, lady in Jagannath Puri, who gotten so eager to see Jagannath that she climbed on top of the back of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <laughs> hmm. And then somebody said, "You can't climb on his his back like that." And he said, "Oh, if only I had the kind of enthusiasm she had to see Krishna, my life would be perfect." Shimon Mahaprabhu ki jai. Lady in Jagannath Puri ki jai. <laughs> so, any questions tonight? Yes. Here's one here. Yeah. Um, yeah. This morning, when you were talking about the um, the meditative bodies that some of the people in um, was that in Vaikuntha's have, I was asking Atmananda, um, and he said it might be a good question for you. When when the final liberation is reached, do different beings reach different places? Like the sum choose to merge into the Brahman effulgence and then others go to Vaikuntha planets and like in other mystical traditions like mystical Catholicism like is their final liberation a very different thing does this kind of vary according to deepest longings of the heart of the devotee and then the Lord fulfills that there's just one part that you missed uh, that you, you forgot and all of that to, to make that complete, the answer is uh, is, is is yes in a, in, a, in a general sense, and there's different ways to talk about it. We talk about it cross culturally, like you say, Catholic, for example, mysticism, or let's say Sufism, something like this. Um, um, and then within Hinduism, there's quite a diversity as well of the path of Gyan, the path of Yoga, different paths of Bhakti, for that matter. There is the bhakti for um, driven by um, by the um, scriptural injunctions and, and uh, it leads to reverential love of God. And there's bhakti driven by um, um, by love. Hmm? Um, that, uh, for example, is our pursuit, our path. So there are diverse paths. Um, within, let's say, a genre uh, of what we might refer to as mysticism, or sometimes I refer to it as experiential spiritual life, as opposed to a religious orientation to the tradition. So you, you have both, you know, really in practically all the traditions. You have your mystics, and then you have your uh, religious practitioners. In the uh, in Hinduism, hmm, um, it's very beautiful because th these things are all pointed out. For example, there is a a mimams or dissertation, scriptural kind of dissertation, uh, the Purva and the Uttar. Purva means uh, beginning and then after the end. So the aphorisms which the with which the two sections uh, that the two sections begin with are similar. 
um, the Purvami Mamsa begins with Atato Dharma Jignasu and the and the um, Uttarmi Mamsa begins with Atato Brahma Jignasu. So one is saying now Ata Jignasu inquiry, make inquiry is the time, now is the time speaking to humans which again speaks about the uniqueness in a sense of what the human body is designed in particular for. It, it's designed such that it needs to eat and sleep, mate and protect itself and so forth like other species of life, but also needs other something else. It needs to know why. Uh, why am I with purpose, meaning, value and so forth. This is the overarching really question that human life is more or less synonymous with. It is a question. Why am I? Why do I exist? And these kind of are, are like, like I say, oftentimes qualitative questions. It, it really, uh, the physical world is quantitative in nature. Consciousness is, is where quality comes from. We posit quality onto the physical world hmm, um, by making sticks and stones a uh, house, hmm, for example, right? So, so, um, <clears throat> So human life is unique because it gives the opportunity to inquire about the more, the more that, than what meets the eye and the mind, as I often say. Hmm? And of course, we are of that more, right? But the uh, beginning, if you will, inquiry into that is an inquiry into it that is... Um, uh, such that by the inquiry into the more, I also get more on a lower level, where I'm actually uh, more situated. In other words, most people are attached to family, friends, and the ephemeral uh, world of its comings and goings, all of which is here today and gone tomorrow, but we remain attached to it, lacking knowledge, experience, wisdom of something that we can theorize about that that, they're, they're, that, they're, that there's the more, I am the more, and so on and so forth. And so the beginning in the Hindu tradition of the inquiry is inquiry into the more that is kind of packaged in such a way that the, the lesser life of acquisition, to use a Zen term, less is more, right? So the more, materially speaking, is more we can acquire. The more I can acquire land, cows, friends, security, better job, hmm, uh, kids to help me, or something, whatever they do. Um, <laughs> I was one of them, so I'm speaking about myself here. So the more, so this more is really less, right? To invoke the Zen aphorism, huh? more is really is really less. The la the more is 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 letting go of that which is less but looks like it's more, right? So what I'm saying is at the beginning, inquiry into the actual more. I was saying this morning that love is born out of the womb of. Can you remember? Sacrifice. 
You can ask any mother that. So, um, so, so that means letting go, right? To give, to give up. Hmm? This is a universal truth. No one can deny it. That selfishness is unbecoming. So we just need to take that to its fullest implication ramifications. That's what Vrindavan is. That's what it is. That's a that's the Gopi Bhav. That's a thing. <laughs> it might not look like it, but that's what it is. So at any rate, so while we want to go there, uh, it it's not something you can just oh that sounds good I'll do it, <laughs> right? Because we for how long? Have we been going in a different direction and trying to acquire, so to speak, uh, through, you know, as a bird, as a fish, as a bear, uh, as a pig who's getting roasted across the street, unfortunately, tonight at the church? Um, not good. So um, we have forever the. the the idea in Hinduism is that there is no uh, beginning to the world. There are world cycles that begin; they they can expand and contract, but there's no beginning to the expanding and the contracting. Hmm. It's a, it's an idea that obviously kind of makes you like kind of go beyond what's between your ears, because we are accustomed to beginnings and ends, beginnings and ends. Hmm. especially the modern world since the birth of Christianity and the scientific revolution they have a linear con- linear conception of time has been prominent which is very um, irritating hmm. uh, linear time I've given an example before if you take a let's say you take a chalkboard and you just draw a line on it <laughs> what does that do for you it's like okay now draw a circle In, you have a question. What comes first, the seed or the tree? In, in America, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. But in India, in, in, in ancient school, the commentaries is a little nicer. What, what, what comes first, the seed or the tree? The seed or the tree? Now, if the world moves in linear time with a beginning and an end, you, you, you can't really answer the question, hmm? but if, the, if, if it's circular, you can say, "I got the answer." Which comes first, the seed or the tree? Both. That's like, oh, that's a different answer. <laughs> that's like, you know, it starts to become transrational, right? Hmm? So, um, so, um, at any rate, uh, the. Uh, uh, the Hinduism begins with this inquiry, right? That into the more, in a way that's gradual, and and as such, we also get more of the less. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? So you can you can worship uh, this god or that goddess. And you're making a sacrifice by doing the worship. And what this amounts to, incidentally, is acknowledging the powers, forces in the macrocosm of nature 
that my body and mind are a microcosm of. So the gods and the goddesses in Hinduism are really uh, kind of synonymous with our own psychological and emotional and physical feelings and physical functioning. Hmm? Right? So like eyes to see, you need light. Hmm? So there's a gratitude for the light. Which which slowly teaches us that I'm my senses that I'm constituted of materially are not just independent. In other words, just to do whatever I feel, whatever my senses call upon is me to do is to live without gratitude, without acknowledging that in order to do any of those things, I'm I'm dependent on in a larger sense. So Hinduism is about living your whole life with. With the with gratitude, therefore, you know the greeting is like is is with folded hands, and uh, and there's like the father's a guru, the uh, the, 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 the this one's a guru, every teacher's a guru, whatever whoever's teaching you anything is like venerable and and, and so forth. Hmm? So gratitude, of course, what is it? It's the beginning of love. It's what you, that's what you teach your kids. Say thank you. Hmm? Did you say thank you? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I gotta learn it. Right. So it's a beginning, kind of a beginning. Thank you. I got some. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gradually, of course, you know, we go forward. We 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 learn that the, the gratitude grows into love, and then we learn that the the giving is actually the receiving, and so forth. But that's down the line. That may be a theory, and it's true. But to experience it. That's what bhakti is about. So the beginning in the inquiry in Hinduism, anyway, is that we inquire in such a way that it's kind of a soft inquiry, hmm? um, and then we we recognize the, our dependence on nature. So it's a worshipful kind of um, um, uh, interaction with nature, and it's said it was Grover Cleaver. Uh, you might have heard of him. If you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. And it's true. You think about it for a moment. So, <laughs> so if you if you show gratitude towards nature, for example, and revere the sun and the wind and 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 so on and so forth, then nature can has a secret. What's the secret of nature? The secret is na- of nature is that what makes her go round, if you will, is consciousness. And it just so happens that you are constituted of consciousness, not matter. You're not a thing. The best things in life are not things. And so we, from this gradual inquiry, you do it, in other words, you, 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 with this approach... I'm, like I'm speaking about, you are inquiring into a religious orientation of life where you recognize divine power, the power behind nature, for example, and uh, your dependence upon that. And there is a bounty that comes with that. Hmm? It's like if if your child says thank you, then you you know, and they, they become polite. Everybody's like a polite young girl, young boy. You know, give them attention, give them something. Mm-hmm. So 
there's there there's more of the less you can live a bountiful um, life. Of course, when you're making the inquiry in this way from a religious orientation, there's a faint idea that there there's more, there's mukti, there's something beyond human existence. But that's kind of a distant that I uh, inquiry that becomes center central to my life down the road sometime. Hmm? I, 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 I worship in such a way for, to, uh, that, that, that my life becomes, materially speaking, fruitful, bountiful, and, and, and I know where the bounty is coming from, so a good portion of my, what would you call it, um, hmm? disposable income is disposed in in places like for Vaishnavism to print a book or, or something like this, uh, for example, to open a temple or, or, or something. Um, and, and this is just this is like just the least we we could do something like that. You can't really buy your way into Vaikuntha, hmm? but it's it's hard anyway <laughs> because <laughs> it's a giving up of something of yourself, right? It's um, it's it's giving up something that anyway that is connected to yourself that yourself is that wrapped up with identified with that you're trying to dis dis dissolve or deconstruct deconstruct this ego this uh, that's a taker right so first you have this dharma jignasu and is this this is the general system and then as this becomes uh, developed hmm, then uh, one starts to inquire more deeply into then Brahma. So what is consciousness? What's making the whole, what is the secret that nature has? That, that she has a soul, and it's us, and it's you. And how far out is that? How amazing is that? Hmm? That tiny Atma, invisible Atma. Hmm? It's so bright. Hmm? So effulgent, the ananda of the atma, atmananda, the ananda of the atma is such that if you were to go into your, metaphorically speaking, heart, hmm, chitta, and cleanse it with a broom, hmm, that's what Namsan Kirtan is about. Krishna is different, not different from his name. He comes into the heart, he sets up a shop. And he's selling brooms. Now, a broom salesman with no big signs, neon lights, corporate uh, advertising power is competing with all the multinational corporations that are set up in your heart, right? That have invaded, that hacked your heart. And they're in there. Drawing, trying to get your attention, right? What does a broom salesman, what chance does he have to compete? Well, they're magic brooms. <laughs> so, with the, as a sweeper, the name begins to sweep the chitta, the, the, conscious, the, con, the, the kind of the material, subtle um, um, organ of awareness. Hmm? Uh, it's different from the atma, but it, it needs to be, be cleansed because what's what's on it is 
reflections and impressions of the world that, that then start to drive our actions. So we have to cleanse it of those. Hmm? Chittavriti nirodha, for example. So Mahaprabhu says it, Cheto darpana marginum. That this, you, you take this, he compares it to a darpana, like a mirror, the chitta. So you, you're aware of something, and it, it, and an impression comes on, and, it, and then these build up, and they've been there. These, these are called samskars. The vrittis turn into, group together, similar impressions, form samskars. And samskars, when they become mature, turn into vasanas, which cause us to act. Hmm? And then we're just kind of moving automatically on these, on the basis of these impressions and so forth. So bhakti is about, the, the nam chanting is about cleansing away these impressions, cleansing the mirror of the mind, and turning that, we do it in the context of bhakti, so we turn the mirror towards Krishna. Hmm? And now we get impressions from that side. Hmm? And those impressions, uh, how does that all come to us? How does nam come to us? It comes through sadhu sangha. Right? Hmm? So this is the missing link in what you were talking about. Hmm? Sadhu Sangha. Bhakti, as I said in this morning, is not a right. It's a, it's a, it's a gift. Right? It's a blessing. Hmm? So, in this world, we've been moving under the force of karma with a time that has no beginning. Hmm? Anadi. Anadi karma. Hmm? Just like it said, Vishnu is anadi. Okay, God has no beginning. Okay, that's not hard to figure out. You don't try to give some fancy interpretation of the word anadi, right? So Vishnu, then he he is kind of poetically spoken of as he manifests the world like like a like exhale like an exhalation, and the universe expands. Hmm? And he inhales and it contracts. Everyone goes into susupti, this condition of deep sleep, and then it comes back out again, and so forth. So this Vishnu has no beginning, right? The world cycles are compared to his breathing, which must not have a beginning either, right? And the world is cons- consists of two shaktis, the Maya shakti, that he presides over, and the Tathasta shakti, that he's the source of, as Mahasankarshan. Mahavishnu is... The expansion of Mahasankarshan in Vaikuntha. When Narayan Vaikuntha desires to bestow mukti, to experience compassionate love, how can he do it? Everyone's a mukta there. Hmm? So, of the Chaturvyuha, Sankarshan, Mahasankarshan, expands as Mahavishnu hmm? and oversees, has jurisdiction over the Maya Shakti and the one. Saikshita right? becomes many. Hmm? That's us. A certain type of Atma. Hmm? Jivatma. Tatasta Shakti. Tata. Tatasta. It means, basically, it means it, it, its nature is adaptability. Tatasta. It can adapt. Hmm? So it can function under the Maya Shakti's influence and it develops a certain personality and ego, or it can develop under the influence of bhakti, the sarup shakti, the internal power of Krishna. Hmm? Then it's going to get a personality 
uh, as a result of that. In other words, you have will and, and you have, uh, uh, but you have to have an environment to exercise it within, and how you do that determines your personality, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the worlds expand, uh, the, the the multiverse, let's say, and its ingredients are the Maya Shakti and the Jiva Shakti, right? But now this Maya Shakti and Jiva Shakti are different because the Maya Shakti is objective, quantitative, let's say, and the Jiva Shakti is subjective and qualitative. Or to put it differently, one is matter and one is spirit, right? So they're different. They're ontologically different. And therefore... They don't, they don't mix, right? They don't mix, and so in order for the world to be what it is, there's got to be some kind of glue that it that it, it at least superficially attaches the jiva shakti to the maya shakti. Hmm? Now that glue has to be an adi too, right? And the jivas are anadi, right? The atma has no beginning, right? It's not a created thing. The maya shakti is not created. These are just aspects of God. God has shaktis. The, sh- the energetic has energy. Hmm? This is the whole Gaudiya Vaishnavism rests on this uh, this aphorism of the Svetashvatara Upanishad. Parasya Shakti Vibhidhai Vishriyate. He has many Shaktis. And then they explore that. What, but the basic, real basic idea is three Shaktis. There's the Maya Shakti, there's the Jiva Shakti, and there's the Sarup Shakti. Or there's the, use different terms, there's the Bahiranga, outside Shakti. There's the Antaranga, the inside Shakti, inner Shakti. And then there's the Tatasta Shakti, or the, uh, the, uh, the, um, Probably call it the marginal shakti, the intermediate shakti, that can function under either of these environments, right? Hmm? The maya shakti is an obscuring environment for the jiva, and the sub shakti is what's the opposite of obscuring? It's a uh, um, revealing. Okay, yeah, hmm. right. What your potential is, what your capacity is, and so forth. Um, so, so. If the Godhead, Vishnu in this case, this feature of the Godhead is, is, is has no beginning, his Shaktis have no beginning, right? They're just part of him. They just are. Sometimes it's asked, well, when is the world, you know, created? It, 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 it's, there is no time in it. It, is, it, it, it just, we just are. It just is. It's, it's part, we're a panentheistic in our view, panentheistic. Not pantheistic, but panentheistic. Panentheistic includes pantheism and something beyond pantheism. Pantheism being the idea that, that the world is is God, a Spinoza-like scientific uh, perspective. Hmm? Um, but panentheism means the world in God. And what does Krishna say in the Gita? Jagadavyaktamurtinaha. Hmm? The world is within, is within me. Hmm. Hmm. And what else does he say in the ninth chapter? 
and it's not, and I'm not in it. I'm in it, and I'm outside of it. Hmm? Everything's in me, and everything's outside of me. How can this is bad to bad, right? One and different at the, at the same time. This is panentheism. It's a more sophisticated theological concept than pantheism, and it it also serves to, in my humble opinion, to bridge a gap between classical theism and pantheism, because pantheism makes the world God, and classical theism makes the word world profane, hmm? and God holy, and there's this bifurcation hmm? between the holy and the profane, hmm? and then you get this environmental crisis that we have today, it's actually born out of immature and poorly, poorly reasoned uh, Christian theology. Hmm? Combined with uh, with uh, um, the early beginnings of modern modern science, hmm. so uh, point is this: that Vishnu is anadi means no no beginning, right? The jivas are anadi. The Maya Shakti is anadi. Something has to keep has to bind them, hmm? because they don't mix, and that must be anadi too. Because without that, there can't be the world. What is that binding force? What is that glue? Who can say? Karma. Karma, hmm? Karma is an adi. Hmm? Has, uh, this is peculiar. Has no beginning. Hmm? But as we, as it turns out, a lot of things don't have beginnings. Hmm? We're entering into, into again something that doesn't fit between the ears, and that's good. Hmm? If you can reason it all out, then it's going to be pretty boring. Hmm? Be honest with you. Uh, reason unto itself will take the life out of thing, everything, unto itself. Now it can be used in relation to revelation. Hmm? That's called theology. Then it becomes uh, an instrument for mining the precious jewels of of insight in the revelation that are this all that's always giving, always giving. Hmm? more and more a richness of insight. This is an interesting point as an aside because in the scientific materialist community it's thought sometimes and 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 put forward that the difference between religion and science is that science is open to change. Hmm? Religion is frozen with these laws and then you know and their their books are written like thousands of years ago and so that they're useless. Whereas science is like this open minded industry. Hmm? We're just open to finding out what's out there. And if we find out it's like this, hey, we'll go that way. If we find out it's like that, we're going to go that way. Hmm? As if the human scientist were a sadhu. In other words, as if the human scientist and the scientific community were detached in the full measure of detachment that brings the full measure of objectivity. Do you understand? This is the pride of science. We're, we're objective. We're going to step back from our feelings. Now we think it should be, and we're going to derive through experimentation facts, consistent data, and then we're going to go with that. Hmm? So you got to be. You can't just go and I think and I feel that you know if you mix hydrogen and something else, you're going to get water. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't work like that, you know. So, okay, I'm going to separate from your feelings, from your emotions, from this 
um, sub- subjectivity, hmm? an inaccurate way of of knowing. Hmm? Yes, but just to wear it by wearing a white coat and getting a degree at the uni- at the in- at the university uh, in in science and then employment in the field does not make you as detached as a yogi. Hmm? And if the detachment from and the harnessing of emotions is what brings us closer to truth, hmm? then we might want to ask the yogi about the nature of the world. Hmm? You understand? What sadhana, spiritual practice, calls upon us to do is to be objective, this is very interesting, to the extreme, hmm? even though it is an exploration of the subjective realm. Hmm? It's kind of a objective subjectivity. Hmm? <laughs> and there are, are, as I often say, there are objective uh, symptoms of one who's actually uh, moving on the inner landscape that, that, to demonstrate that, that and this can be observed cross-culturally. Contro- harnessing, for example, as they say, of the human passions and so forth. That's supernatural. Hmm? It's supernatural. Once we, I was sitting with Prabhupada in, ba- in Madras. Madras, no, Hyderabad. And there were 50,000 people that attended this pandal. This, like, you put up a tent and people come and then Prabhupada spoke. So sitting on a stage with Prabhupada and and after he gave his talk um, from the teachings of Rishabdev and the Bhagavatam, Nayam, what is that verse? Hmm. Nayam De. Hmm. Yeah, that's a nice verse. Vidbujam ye. <laughs> so it says, "Should not lead your life like a like a like a like a pig, hmm. just." Eating the the stool of of, of humans, hmm? eating, eating just chewing the chew. Anyway, it's very graphic and compelling. Uh, so anyway, he gave this lecture. So after lecture, which was uncharacteristic of Prabhupada, especially in a big setting like this, he said, "Are there any questions?" So somebody in the audience, uh, when Hindu asked a question, said, "Swamiji, have you done any miracles?" You know, Prabhupada here is giving the philosophy, you know, and the guy wants to know, did you have you done any miracles? He probably wants to bring people in with reasoning, hmm? and he wants, he only wants to get involved if, you know, if, he, if he's done any miracles, so to speak, and that's his test. So Prabhupada said, yes, hmm? and he pointed that this boy has given up sex, and everybody went, whoa, that's a miracle. You know, from the, and he like, you know, they're 20 years old and from from America, you know, they didn't. How could it be? You know, well, okay. You know, it was, it was such a good answer, such a like, gotcha. You know, <laughs> you know a, try that one. You know, so uh, he used to say in relation to you know the property city where you can you can reach out in yoga and bring something from a distant place, or someone bring a piece of jewelry, hmm? the gold jewelry. This is, you know, not too many yogis can do this, but it's possible. A lot of cheaters and imitators, but it's possible. And so, but Prabhupada said, even if it's possible, if you can bring a gold nugget, why should we worship you? Bring us a gold mountain. Hmm? Can you, if you can bring a nugget, bring the whole mountain. Hmm? Krishna's put the gold in the in in, in underneath the you know 
my minds of it, right? So you can bring more nuggets. <laughs> what is that? Hmm? Uh, so, the, you know, the devotional perspective on the um, those such cities is, and, and, and actually from the suitors of, of Patanjali as well, they're not thought to be everything that uninformed, um, philosophically speaking, people think that they are. But at any rate, um, I digress. So, uh, the glue, right? Is, is 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 karma. So, so so there's this force of karma in the world hmm, that we're moving under the influence of. And we take and we and so we owe. And off to work we go. We take to live because we've identified with something that seems to need um, us to take from the environment to support it. And everybody's doing the same thing. So you know, it's a pretty competitive um, atmosphere. In which we live, unfortunately, hmm? and um, and so and every time you take, you owe, hmm? and every thought about taking, you owe, and you get and you're getting these impressions, these some scars, and so forth. and so you, you're being bound like this. So now hmm? we have this atma, right? Hmm? It's different from matter, but now it's a, it's identified with matter from a time without beginning. It's a certain uh, it's a particle of a certain type of shakti of, of coming from the Vishnu, the Tatasta shakti, Jeev shakti, mm-hmm. and and it's under the force of karma. But there's another anadi influence in the world, and what what is that, and why is that? I'll tell you the why, then you'll understand what it is. That you may remember that it was Narayan and Vaikuntha who wanted to bestow mukti, right? Hmm? And that's why the world is, in one sense, right? But mukti, which even for Vaikuntha is a type of bhava and a type of prem, is described by Sri Lupa Goswami as what? Sudurlava. Sudurlava, very rare to attain. Hmm? It's rare to attain because certain things have to happen in the course of attaining it. Hmm? Hmm? You, you have to be, of course, you have to be given the opportunity and then you have to take advantage of the opportunity. So I'm talking about the taking advantage of the opportunity. Hmm? That's what we call sadhana, spiritual practice, right? So Vishnu wants to bestow this mukti and none of this has any beginning in time. You know, we're limited by language and reason is our language, you know, for the most part here to try to talk about it, conceptualize it, right? So, so, um, in, in correspondence with the, with the desire to bestow compassionate love of Vishnu, there's a world. Hmm? He's such a sun cult, but whatever he wants, then it happens, right? So if he wants to be compassionate, there has to be a world that, that requires such. Hmm? And so, in, 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 and then in order for that mood to be bestowed, in some form he has to come into that world. So it comes from the Mahavishnu and all the avatars come through the Mahavishnu. He's the, the Mahavishnu is the original avatara. means crossing tara from up to down. Avatara. It's a dispensation. He who is outside of time and space 
comes within time and space to take us out of time and space. Hmm? Right? It's like the, 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 the warden who's outside of the prison comes inside the prison with the keys to take us out. He's in there, but he's not one of us. Something like that. Hmm? So these avatars come and, and, and they're part of the world. As I was saying this morning, along with the world, the machine of the world, Janturudrani Maya, it said in the Gita, this body's like a machine, and it's again the microcosm of the macrocosm of nature. So it's like a big machine. I mean, Newton was right in some respects. It's like a big mechanical machine, how it works. Hmm? Like clockwork. Hmm? But there are some, some um, what would you say, um, random, there is some randomness at the subatomic level, it turns out. Uh, so anyway, that's an interesting topic. But um, in, 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 you know, a classical physical perspective of the world, a Newtonian perspective, this is why people get really tied into the, the, the logic of scientific materialism or a determinist, a deterministic perspective on life, no free will, there's no self really, um, just matter, because they really analyze the world, machinery, and it all works like this. It's like a machine. It works like this, it works this plug here, this goes here, this goes and then they do experiments, they do math, and it works. And they, so they're discovering the machinery of it. And in all this, they're not finding consciousness. This is like, well, well, I don't know what that is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to have any influence. It's, we didn't find it here or there. You know, so it's just kind of dismissed. That was for the longest time. With the quantum perspective in the early part of the 20th century, then uh, consciousness again became a subject. And the early quantum founders and so forth, which Einstein was against, he could just like he thought this isn't this is crazy, huh? but it, it, the early founders they they started to say things like uh, like, like like consciousness is the bedrock, you know, it's, it, this is uh, 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 and so forth. And so anyway, it's, it, the, the truth about con- about of course quantum mechanics, quantum physics is, physics is that anybody who tells you that they understand it doesn't understand it. That's for sure. So, such is Maya, the Bhagavatam says of Krishna. It's not. It's not. It, maya means to measure. It's immeasurable. You you try. Maya means that you try to measure it, which means to try to bring it within. Which is what science is about. It's measuring, right? To bring it into the, your fist of your understanding and subordinate it to you. Hmm? To conquer it. Hmm? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Hmm? So Maya means that which is not, and it means to measure. You cannot measure it. You cannot bring it within the fist of your intellect. It's bigger than you. Hmm? You can you can learn things pragmatically from it and so forth, but to understand the whole picture of what it's all about, hmm? no. Hmm? That can be understood when you understand that you can't do it. Understand that you can't do it, then okay. Then there's another. Then you then you go to the transrational method of knowing that doesn't include knowing every detail of the world. To be omniscient or a sarvagya, all knowing, 
in a devotional or mystical sense is not to know every detail of the world. It's to know it's not required to know every detail. <laughs> Neither can you know every detail. But you could know yourself. That might be a good start. Hmm? Like I said, you can go to the moon, but what will you do there? Hmm? Columbus came to America, but what did he do here? Ask the natives how that worked out. Uh, so, just to remain a beast wherever you go. Hmm? So, to go inward, this is the idea, right? So, anyway, so there, so, so the Vishnu, he wants to bestow mukti, right? Hmm? And, and so, along with the machine, I'm saying, of the world, the mechanism of it, comes, let's say, for example, you order something online and you get, let's say you get a computer, okay? What do you get along with it? You get an instruction manual, right? Hmm? Maybe not with a computer. <laughs> it's too intuitive now, what everybody knows. <laughs> anyway. With it, with it, with with the, with with some something, you get you get, a, you get an instructions, hopefully, right? Or you get an address where you can find out about it. Okay. Yeah. Metaphor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get a website. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same principle, right? Right. right. So in, so so the Veda, hmm? he manifests the Veda in the world, right? Hmm? Revealed knowledge, and it's revealed to someone who's got the ears to hear it, so to speak, who's, who's like a dog can hear a dog whistle and a human can't. So because he or she is involved in, in, in mysticism, spiritual practice, they, 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 they start to hear the sounds of the world that, that's speaking about its secrets again. Hmm. What's, what's its soul? It's you and, and so forth. And so, and they and they put that into into language, and so this is what we call the sacred texts of the Hindus, right? Mm-hmm. So there there are the sacred texts; it's a form of revelation. And then there are the sadhus, the saints who are living in those sacred texts, right? Mm-hmm. And there are different kinds of sadhus, just like within Hinduism. Okay, there's yoga, there's gyan. Mm-hmm. There's bhakti, as I said, different kinds of bhakti, and then we can go. There's uh, you could even say Christianity is a kind of bhakti, right? And Sufism is kind of a is kind of a uh, bhakti Advaitin perspective. Uh, you know, I mean, you can we can appreciate all the all the mystics in all the different traditions, hmm? But the more you start talking about it, the more it starts sounding like Hinduism. That's that's for sure. Hmm? <laughs> that's, actually, India is this is is the mother of all religion. That, that that's a, that's a beautiful truth. So, but yes, different nuanced dispensations, different paths, right? The implication of this is what is that the nature of transcendence and the Godhead is not limited. It's multifaceted. 
multidimensional. So it's said about the, for example, avatars of Vishnu, how many are there? The Bhagavatam lists like 30 or something, and then it says, but they are asankhya, uncountable. So how many faces of God? So many faces. So, and what are those faces? They are they, the faces of God. We talked about this morning. What did we say? If you want to see God, we will say, here, look, here's love of God. Hmm? Look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There must be God if there's love of God, right? Hmm? So the faces of God correspond with different nuanced uh, expressions of love of God. Hmm? And that's just not, you just don't make it up what love of God is. I'm not saying that. That's why all these mystical traditions, as different as they are, there's some common ground. Hmm? In the religious sector, as I began, you find often they don't understand the mystical expressions of their own tradition. In the Western revelation, the, the Jesus of Nazareth would be a good example because he was a Jewish uh, person in terms of religious affiliation, and the Jewish people turned him in, or at least one of them, right? Hmm? And the Jewish people they don't—he was—they don't accept him as the savior or whatever. They, they, so they couldn't couldn't recognize a mystic in their own tradition. This is the problem with the religious orientation. If it's if it's not seen religion as a as a means to enter into the heart of experiential spiritual life, hmm? and and the and the and the, and the less that is that is really more than the than the spiritual experiencing persons in different traditions, the mystics, when they speak about the tradition, religious people who don't make that connection misunderstand. They may crucify them or or whatever. They, they want a religion that, you know, doesn't ask too much of them. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. There's a sign out there. Thanks, Jesus. I got a nice place. Yeah. So this is uh, not a bad idea, but it's a little infantile. Hmm. If, 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 if Speaking of, of love of God. Hmm. Again, all you can say is thank you. We began with that, right? Gratitude is a start, but it's not the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, so... So... There are many faces of God. Hmm? So, how many Vaikuntha planets are there? Unlimited. Hmm? Bhaktivinoda Thakur says that when Krishna says in the Gita that again and again I come yuga after yuga, he says in one of his commentaries, he has two commentaries on the Gita, that that doesn't mean only in India. He comes outside of India as a Shaktivesh and teaches the Dharma in other places hmm? according to that place. Hmm? So, okay. This is the kind of a theistic perennialist perspective. And Bhaktivinoda was very much a perennialist. In other words, he identified an underlying uh, spiritual current that expresses itself in the world through different cultures at different times and different different ways with different details. Hmm? But, But he doesn't merge the ultimate attainment all into one singular experience, but acknowledges that the diverse expressions hmm, of these essential truths translate into diverse attainments within transcendence. Hmm? So all roads don't lead to Rome, as it turns out. Or Rome's a pretty big place, let's put it like that. Maybe they do, but like there's like a lot of different streets you could go on, hmm, right? And they don't all, well, they all sell pizza, but 
there might be other <laughs> other eateries as well. <laughs> so so there's this common ground between these mysticism, right? It's ego effacing. Hmm? So you can't just say, yeah, there's many forms of God, and my form of God is that. That's what happened to Christianity. Just take the Bible, interpret it as if you feel it, hmm? and then you got you know some really bizarre it happens everywhere, but um, in other traditions too, bizarre interpretations uh, that, that are very divorced from what it's really asking, the sacrifice that it's, it's asking of us, hmm? which is the ego, ego effacement. Hmm? Once I was stationed in Chicago and I was lecturing there and there was a, um, a, uh, a man and wife who were, who, the, the husband was the Presbyterian uh, minister hmm? and, um, and she was an ex-Catholic nun who had married him. And so uh, she used to see me with my robes crossing the street, going to the temple, and, and some of the other devotees, and she was curious about that. So she started coming to the lectures. Hmm? And she was just really, uh, she really liked my lectures. And um, she's still a, a good, good friend of mine. And, um, and so she used to go home to her husband and say, you know, he's saying this, he's saying that. And, you know, and I'm pushing on ego effacement and, you know, genuine uh, uh, essential spirituality and so forth, that the, the less is the more and so on. So the, so the, the, the husband, nice enough guy, um, he starts factoring these insights into his Sunday lecture in the context of Christianity, which they fit, you know, very well. Well, they didn't fit very well with the elder uh, suburban Chicago congregation that he that he had, and so they wrote to the whatever the bishop, or and they said, "Get this! Can you send this guy to the Bahamas or something?" You know, and that's what they did. They transferred him to the Bahamas. They didn't want that kind of, yeah, hmm? it was a promotion, yeah, yeah. So as I was saying in the beginning, that this is one of the beauties of Hinduism, that it's very difficult in Hinduism to get caught only in the religious expression of the tradition and not understanding that it leads to an essential esoteric experiential heart, mystical heart of the tradition. Hmm? Because you have the four desirables, Dharma, Art, the Kama, and Moksha. Hmm? Right? there. Dharma, to be virtuous, uh, virtue for its own sake, uh, art to, to have economic standing, uh, to get this, we need this, uh, sense, kama, sense, pleasure to some extent, right? And moksha, leaving it all behind. This then goes to the mystical side. It goes from karma now, acquisition, to jnana. Hmm? which is detachment, letting go from poverty, acquisition to nivrity, letting go. Hmm? So, so in Hinduism, this is all very clear. Hmm? And, and, and so there's, 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 there's a good connection. This is a mistake, actually, of uh, an error, really, on the part of um, a famous, I like him too, Christian theologian, uh, what was his name? He used to be an atheist. Uh, 
um, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Lewis examined Hinduism and Christianity. He thought, these are the two real religions. The problem with Hinduism, he said, is that you've got this separation. You've got the common village people with kind of a superstitious perspective, and then you've got some guy in a cave over here. And there's no in-between ground. Hmm? This is what he, he's wrong about that. He was very wrong about that. Hmm? Uh, and the fact is, you got into Christianity too. You got some theologian who's got like this nuanced uh, understanding of the essential ideas in the Scripture, and then you got thousands of people who are saying they're ready to go to war, you know, and beat up people because. Um, they're not thinking that the world was created in seven literal 24-hour days or something. You know, they're, they're, they have a literalist, fundamentalist kind of orientation. So anyway, um, um, Hinduism. This is one of its uh, its, its its virtues as 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 a tradition, and so uh, we, we covered that. But but the there are then. There is, I should say, not only the force of karma in the world, but there is the force of these sadhus. Hmm? So there are gyan sadhus, and gyan is not a, not a Hindu term, or uh, per se. It, you know, it speaks of, uh, universally speaking, of this mystical kind of orientation, knowledge. Hmm? Knowledge corresponds with detachment. If you, why, what you want knowledge so that you can know what to do to be happy. So knowledge, if you know that things of the world are here today and gone tomorrow, and trying to get happiness from them is a recipe for distress because they won't stay with you even if you like them, you let them go. So corresponding with knowledge is detachment. Hmm? So then knowledge is mysticism. So at, at any rate, hmm, you've got from this broad body of Eastern revelation, let's say that's in India, for example, you have different traditions. Hmm? And then it, cross-culturally it shows up also, right? And so who are the bearers of this tradition are those who have some scars, not from the world, but for, for, for gyan, for bhakti, for yoga. Some scars means impressions, right? But these are impressions from the other side, a, a gyan perspective. Hmm? on the nature of ultimate reality, a yoga perspective on the nature of ultimate reality. For example, correspondingly, the concept of undifferentiated, indeterminate Brahman as the, as the, as the, as the nature of ultimate reality, or Paramatman hmm, as the nature of reality, for the jnani, for the yogi. Hmm? And then there's the bhakta, hmm? Uh, the love tradition, the bhakti tradition, who's got Bhagwan, the Godhead, the personality of the Godhead, different forms. There's Narayan, there's Ram bhakti, there's Krishna bhakti, different kinds of Krishna bhakti, hmm? different kinds of Vaidhi bhakti for Krishna, different kinds of Rag bhakti for Krishna. Hmm? So these are all the different varieties, all the different streets of the, of the spiritual world that you can, all the different blocks you can live on. Hmm? Right, it's a variegated place, multifaceted, multidimensional, hmm? and when we then come in touch with a powerful 
influence from that side, from a sadhu, a mystic, hmm, who's being who's driven by that side, that influence. Hmm, in our case, if you come in touch with the rag bhakta, hmm, then you're going to get some scars for the kind of bhava that he and his tradition represent and afford us windows of opportunity to go through. Hmm? So what will be your particular destination and someone else's destination and so forth? There may be different destinations, as you were thinking. Hmm? But that they're determined by our contact with that side through the intermediate, that is the sadhu, that's also moving in this world. So, for example, in our tradition, bhakti is also a force in, the, in this world. Hmm? In fact, bhakti is the force that if it is factored into jnana, mixed with jnana, or mixed with yoga, then jnana and yoga can be efficacious in terms of affording one the transcendental ideal that, that, that the jnanis and yogis harbor. Hmm? In other words, entrance into that side requires more than a passport to leave here. If I have a passport, I can leave the United States, but I can't go to countries, some countries, unless I have a visa hmm, to get in. Hmm? So you can become an Atmanandi, an Atmaram, hmm, through sattva, the very refined, refined influence of sattva, sattva guna, hmm, which is a material influence. It has, it's, it has its clarity, it brings clarity. Hmm? It has revelatory power. It, 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 it's, it's the way in which things make themselves known. That's sattva. All, all phenomena has some aspect, a combination of the modes, maybe predominant by one or dominantly one or another, but they all have some sattva by which they make themselves known. Hmm? So your self as an atma, which is different from matter, can be known under the influence of sattva. That's like getting a passport. Hmm? But now you need a visa. Even to go to Brahman, you need a visa. Even to go to Baikuntha and meditate on Paramatma, you need a visa. And you definitely need a visa to go to Goloka. Hmm. That's for darn sure. Hmm. Hmm. And so... Um, bhakti is what makes these spiritual paths work, so to speak, grace, dispensation from that side in, in a broad broad sense. So, there are bhaktas in the world. We're, we're in the bhakti tradition, so there are bhaktas in the world. And these sadhus, these sadhus hmm, uh, they they are the, 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 the ones who, who, for example, back to Narayana, who we bestow mukti on. Hmm? They're always in the world. There are always some at the point where Vishnu can't be separated from them any longer. He, won't, he has to give them mukti. So he's here primarily for them. Paritranaya sadhunam, the Gita says. I come to give protection to the devotees and to deal with the non-devotees. That's secondary, the latter. The former is primary. Hmm? He comes to the world to deliver the devotees who are, who are just at the point where now they, they, they can... Mukti can be given to them. Bhava can be given to them. Hmm? They can be blessed with Bhava. They've come through, like in our tradition, through through Nishta, through Ruchi, Asakti, hmm? and so forth.
Um, and they focused on that particular tradition and so on. So, this current of bhakti is there in the world. Hmm? It's independent of karma, as I was saying earlier today, like Sukadev, right? Or was it last night? I don't know. He, he, he moving in the world independent of the force of karma. And he came to Parikshit Maharaj and spoke to Bhagavatam. So, so the seed of the bhava, the spiritual emotion that we will attain, hmm? and it will exp- play itself out as pr- in prem as a form of love. Love has a shape by which it expresses itself. Hmm? It's like art is needs a canvas to express itself. So prem has a form. Hmm? So the, the form of the prem, and that prem is made up of condensed bhava, hmm? that you will attain, the seed of that comes from sadhu sangha. So it depends what sadhus you associate with because they will influence you and you will follow them and they be worshipping in a particular way. So you will take up the same worship that they take up. So you will have to attain the same bhava. You understand? Hmm? <laughs> that's how it works. That is, that's, a <laughs> that's a long answer. but. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Mahavishnu ki jai. Bhakti. Bhakti Devi ki jai. In our sampradaya, Gaudiya sampradaya, there are two uh, what we call samasti gurus. So the macrocosmic gurus. They are Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Prabhunitai. Gaur and Nityananda. Krishna Balaram and Kali Yuga. These two. They come to give the dispensation. Hmm? Mahaprabhu comes to experience the love of Radha and Nityananda Prabhu wants to give it to everybody else. Hmm? And, and, and so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is he, he, if you want to become a gopi, the teaching is you got to become a sadhu. That's what Krishna did, right? He became Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's trying to become a gopi. He's trying to be, experience himself from Radha's perspective. So he had to become a sadhu. Nityananda Prabhu is Balaram and Sakirati, he comes as a sadhu also, right? So if you want to become a gopa or a gopi, you've got to become a sadhu. Hmm? And because of these two, Madhurya Rasa, form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sakiras in the form of Nityananda Prabhu, these two happen to be from rasic sensibilities compatible rasas. Hmm? They're compatible to one they they can nourish one another. Hmm? So these are the currents and the windows of opportunity that are available to us in our sampradaya. Hmm? So you find our charges are in absorbed in one of these the, these two, and both of them are available because he, he, you, your guru may be in one or the other, but he's going to give the whole of the Gaudiya teaching and so forth, and uh, you get full exposure to uh, everything. That's available. Some scars, and he will see. Oh, he's liking like this. And he should read this, chant this, come back later, and we'll talk again, and so forth. Help us grow and step into that potential that that's been made available by the grace of bhakti. So anyway, bhakti Devi ki jai. So we'll take prashad, huh? Ha prashad ki jai. In the beginning, we're told that by 
doing sodomy will uncover our constitutional And from your talk, it sounded like we can kind of choose to move between the different losses. Or we get to choose our no, uh, what happens is, is that by the association, you get impressions of the bhava that those sadhus are carrying, hmm? and our our sampradaya is pregnant with these bhavas. Hmm? So this and this will happen over lifetimes. So so what's inherent is what was placed in there in a previous lifetime hmm? by sadhu sangha. And then it will come out by further and uh, subsequent practice and further culture of it and so forth. But that bhava is not inherent in the jivatma coming from Mahavishnu, because that that's made of sarup shakti, and we're tatasta shakti, because sarup shakti is also of a uh, qualitative nature rather than a quantitative nature like matter. It can it can have ingress into the jiva like matter can't. Matter can't make ingress into the jiva, bring its temporality into the into the jiva. There may be an appearance of such, but it, but it can't. But the sarup shakti is sanidi samvit ladini. This is like satchitananda on steroids. <laughs> so when we are an atomic particle of satchitananda, so we get greater capital. Hmm? A great, we get like a small capitalist. We get a big investment. Through Sadhusanga and the Sampradaya, and okay, so you understand, right? Yeah. <laughs> One more little follow-up question. Uh, yeah. You said so the different bobs from the different Sadhusangas. Are there even different variations of that within different teachers? Like, for instance, sitting out here and the energy and the vibration is very different, for instance, than being in the Iskon Temple in Alachua. So is this, you know, a unique set of impressions and of this flavor of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that you might find in a more intimate setting like this? There are, yeah, some some settings have no bhav. <laughs> yeah. And some have have some. But yes, uh, yes, there are there, there, there are for, so for example, and with, uh, with, within Chaitanya Vaishnavism, there's really one type of Madhurya Rasa that we call Mabulas or um, a type of Gopi Bhav. It's called Tad Bhav to assist Radha. Hmm? Sometimes it's called Manjari Bhav. Hmm? So it's a t- particular type. Hmm? Rupa Goswami says there are other types, but it, but but that type, those other types are not something that we find really being distributed in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Then then there's the Sakyarasa, and there's four kinds of Sakyarasa, dom- dominant types. Hmm? So there are and there are examples of all of them hmm? in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, although two of them are most prominent. The Sakas who are mixed with Madhurya and assist Krishna's romantic life, and those who are purely in Sakya. Like the Dwarasugu Pauls, the associates, the twelve associates of Nityananda Prabhu who are the friends of Krishna Balaram, they're all either Priyanarmasakas or Priyasakas. So there there is some nuance. Hmm? And of course each bhava will express itself 
in a unique form for each individual with unique particulars. So I was saying this earlier today, the opportunity of grace comes to you through sadhusanga and then through sadhana, as you become purified, your will, the will that's inherent in the jiva starts to express itself under the influence of the sarup shakti, which is only moving for the pleasure of Krishna. So now you're willing to please Krishna in a particular way within the context of that bhava. So some coward boys like mangoes and some like um, bananas. Hmm? There's differences. So is it almost kind of like light passing through a prism or that bob? That yeah, that's exactly like it? that. And as it comes through a unique teacher and the individual, it's going to you know, modify that a, a little bit, but it's the same. Yeah, rag means also color. Mm -hmm. Hmm? So if you take a crystal and you place a red rose next to it, the crystal will become like a red rose. If you place a yellow rose, it'll become like that. So when your heart becomes like a crystal, cleansed, hmm, then the rag that's placed next to it will take on that color. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>